Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Museum closes, but Taliban remains open. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Oh, the irony. Indeed, the 9-11 Museum has closed. The 9-11 Tribute Museum has closed. But the Taliban, who we surrendered to, right around the same time on August 30th of last year, remains open for business. <laughs> ah, this, um, this is all very devastating and very uh, sad, of course. And um, particularly, I mean, the irony of it happening essentially within the same uh, 10 days or weeks that the, the, the 9-11 Tribute Museum that is keeping our memories of 9-11 alive and honoring the people, the victims, and their families who perished and the first responders who perished in 9-11. And yet, now the Taliban is stronger than ever. So, um, I'm going to be talking to you today about, first, in this first segment, about the 9-11 Museum and what happened, why it closed, and why it shouldn't have, how that's such a travesty. And then, in the next segments, I'll talk to you about the other travesty, that of our surrender to the Taliban a year ago. Um, first of all, I went to the 9-11 Tribute Museum. Now, this is, there are two 9-11 museums in Lower Manhattan. One is the 9-11 Tribute Museum, and the other is the National September 11th Memorial Museum. They're both important and very different. The 9-11 Tribute Museum um, is a much more intimate museum uh, because it's connected more closely with the families of the victims of 9-11 and the um, and the first responders uh, connected to 9-11. And um, when I went, uh, and they have docents who are either members of the families or first responders. And when I went, uh, my docent was a first responder. It was a man who um, had been at ground zero for a long time, you know, uh, helping people and helping with the rescue and so on. Um, and because of his being at, not at ground zero for so long, he developed cancer. And uh, so when, you know, when you have a docent like that leading you around the museum, telling you the stories of the various items in the museum, you know, that is incredibly sad and incredibly poignant and incredibly important to still be around. Now, the death of the 9-11 Tribute Museum is today's equivalent of the Kitty Genovese murder of 1964. You, if you um, never heard of that, 
Kitty Genovese was a woman who was raped and murdered in front of her apartment building in Queens. And uh, the people in the building looked out their windows, you know, with lots of noise. <laughs> she was screaming and so on. They looked out their window and nobody did anything. Now, you know, after the fact, some people are trying to say, oh, yes, they tried to call the police, but they couldn't get through. In any case, this is called the bystander effect, where everyone else thinks that somebody else is going to save a person's life and therefore no one does anything. And that is part of what happened with the Tribute Museum. Um, the, um, they had announced that there was a, a a change.org or a GoFundMe, um, you know, an announcement that they were having financial difficulties in March. Um, and the reason why was because of the pandemic, um, because fewer people were going to museums because of the crowds, not wanting to be in crowds. And so they lost a lot of their income that came from the visitors. And so um, they were getting deeper and deeper into the hole. And although they have a whole list, you know, on their website, they have a whole list of people who were like major donors at some point. Somehow or other, these people um, did not did not donate um, at this time to keep it afloat. And um, what's really, it really, you know, it's really pretty outrageous because, I mean, for example, um, one of the big companies in the Twin Towers was... Um, Cantor Fitzgerald, a financial company, a, a multi-million, if not billion-dollar company, and they, so they lost, you know, all or many, well, they lost all the workers who were there that day, and so they have been a big donor in various things related to 9/11, but I don't know where they were at this uh, this point. Um, and, and obviously not just them, but, you know, more people should have donated. But what's worse than the fact that people didn't donate, didn't save it, um, what's worse is that uh, the government, our taxes, American taxes, New York taxes, federal taxes, didn't come in to save it. Um, you know, people, a lot of people uh, are in denial. I've talked about this in previous podcasts about people, how we all want to believe that another 9-11 could never happen here. But um, <laughs> that is not the case. And um, I will, you will hear um, to some degree during this podcast and even more in my next one, which I dedicate to 9-11 per se, um, you know, there's, there are, we, we are in more danger than ever today than we were when 9-11 did happen. Um, now, you know, some taxes, some recently we've heard about some taxes, federal taxes, going to um, pay for 87,000 new IRS agents who are going to destroy the middle class in order to make them dependent upon the government for handouts. Some uh, taxes went to support the Buffalo Bills team. Some taxes in New York went to support migrants living to have them live in luxury in four-star hotels and um and and more most recently um not taxes but there has been well i mean it is taxes that's going to bail that are going to bail out the um 
the college um, loans, there's a, a program that Biden has announced for college loan forgiveness. So our taxes are going to that, essentially. All of these things, many things that our taxes, our taxes go to that are not as important as keeping the 9-11 Tribute Museum alive. Now, um, there could, in fact, be an even darker political agenda. I try not to get too political in these uh, terrorist therapist podcasts because, but, you know, sometimes you can't help it because that, you know, that's, I mean, terrorists are, you know, that is a part of the definition of terrorism, of course, but um, there is a darker political agenda in that there is an effort to ignore or downplay 9-11 anniversaries, which would therefore extend to the 9-11 museum. And why Why would that be? And of course, ex there's an exception, of course, for the 20th anniversary, you know, that made, it was a little bigger splash than normal, but it wasn't huge, even that. Um, and why is that? Because the Obama-Biden administration is trying to make us forget about radical Islamist terrorists like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and the Taliban and get us to focus on what they call the real terrorists, who we should fear, like PTA parents and the January 6th trespassers and anyone else who doesn't agree with the Biden-Obama administration. Um, we are affected today still by 9-11 um, in many different ways, psychologically and physically, um, politically, socially, uh, you know, we want to pretend, we all, to a certain extent, we all want to pretend that 9-11 didn't happen. It's very painful. We want to forget about it. We do certainly want to think that that's not going to happen again. Um, but uh, there have been studies, for example, that show that even people who weren't in Manhattan on 9-11, but who watched it over and over uh, on TV, developed PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So those who were in New York City or in Washington, D.C., the other sites of the attack or in the field in Pennsylvania, where one of the planes landed, um, people who were closest to it, and especially people who lost a loved one or a friend or someone who they cared about, you know, there are people in real life, not just watching it on TV, who are even more affected. So one of the ways, for example, that we've um, uh, gotten affected uh, besides what I just said, is that there was a whole, a big increase in consuming unhealthy comfort food uh, after 9-11 to comfort ourselves, to calm our anxieties. And so we have, many of us have gotten fatter since 9-11. And of course, you know, the COVID lockdown made the whole situation even worse. But there are all kinds of psychiatric disorders that increased since 9-11. You know, if you look at the statistics, the time, uh, the date when these things increased were 9-11. Uh, depression, cutting, substance abuse disorders, um, all kinds of, of psychiatric disorders have increased since 9-11. And then, of course, um, there is the failure to acknowledge the impact on the children born since 9-11. These children were raised by parents who were impacted and traumatized by the shock of 9-11, enemies falling out of the sky to destroy the Twin Towers and other areas, and in D.C. and in Pennsylvania, and so on. Um, 
so of course, you know, all of us who were alive then, it made us feel helpless. It made us feel more anxious. And it made us more dependent upon a nanny state. These kids made them more uh, dependent upon a nanny state because of absorbing the helplessness and the anxiety of their parents. It made the parent, the people who were alive then, and it made the children even more anxious and more dependent on a nanny state than their parents because that's all they knew. So it's very hard for anyone who wasn't alive on September 11th, 2001, to truly understand what that felt like, to truly understand the lesson of that day. And in fact, we must become more resilient because, as I was saying, we're in more danger of terror attacks than ever before, especially after our surrender in Afghanistan and after and having a cognitively impaired president um, and having Afghan immigrants spread throughout America, a woke military, open borders, and some politicians who have quietly become partners with terrorists because they share the agenda of destroying America. So those who fail to support museums that preserve history are doomed to forget it. And those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Well, stay tuned. In the next segment, I'm going to talk about our surrender in Afghanistan on August 30th, one year ago, and what impact that is having on us. Again, the irony of the 9-11 museum closing while the terrorists remain open for business and more business. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about, oh, the irony, 9-11 museum closes, but Taliban remains open. The irony of these two horrific events happening within um, such proximity to each other. I mean, the, the, the museum closing just this past week and the anniversary of our surrender to the Taliban happening, you know, August 30th. So it's going to be, it's the anniversary. Okay, so now let's talk about this debacle. <laughs> two, there were two debacles. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the, the Afghanistan debacle and what impact this is having. Um, first of all, um, there has just been released a, a report um, uh, that's called the um, it's called a strategic failure assessing the administration's Afghanistan withdrawal. The um, Foreign Affairs Committee interim report just released that was just released, and one of the things that it talks about um, is how you know, how Biden was so panicked when he totally screwed up the evacuation and um, it was failing so badly that staffers from his wife's office, from Jill Biden's office, were contacting private rescue groups in order to get people out. Even his wife realized that he was making a mess of it. Um, that's one of the things that were was uh, stated in the report, 
Now, um, some of the things that came out in the report, I'll, I'm going to tell you uh, some of the highlights um, from the report. So why don't I start with that, and then I'll tell you some more things. Um, first of all, the um, you know the the conclusion of this strategic failure report is that it was a strategic failure is that uh, Biden's decision to withdraw from Afghanistan and the re resulting chaotic and deadly evacuation um, created you know created was created a debacle at the time and is continuing to create problems for America. Now Biden um, based his claimed that the reason why he was doing what he was doing in terms of withdrawing troops, uh, he was basing it on, so he claimed, the Doha Peace Agreement. And that was um, an agreement that was made between the U.S. and the Taliban on February 29, 2020 in Doha, Qatar. Uh, but he, you know, interpreted it one way, and really um, the agreement said that the U.S. would withdraw U.S. and NATO troops if the Taliban kept its commitment. You know, that's a little, <laughs> that was an important, that was a key part of it. You know, we weren't just going to leave, like, goodbye, it's been 20 years, we've had enough, you know, so long. Um, it was It was in conjunction with, and the important part for the U.S. was that the Taliban keep its commitment. Um, so, in other words, this peace agreement didn't force Biden to withdraw from Afghanistan because as soon as he saw that the Taliban was was not holding to their agreements and was in fact taking over, taking back Afghanistan, that was, according to the agreement, that gave him the full right to stop withdrawing American troops and NATO troops. But he chose to withdraw them anyway, in spite of advice from his top military advisors, from the intelligence community, and from America's allies. So um, the, his advisors told Biden that the conditions of the agreement weren't being met, but he didn't care. Um, and he even has admitted that he, quote, would have tried to figure out how to withdraw these troops, unquote, from Afghanistan, even if the Doha agreement didn't exist. So he just wanted to take out the troops, period. He, he wasn't listening to anybody. Um, the generals told the, him, for example, to leave a small force of about 2,500 military personnel, and these would have been joined by 6,000 mostly NATO troops. Didn't listen to Biden, didn't listen to that. Um, he also did not quote, plan for all contingencies, unquote, as he was supposed to do. And the reason why he didn't plan for all contingencies, well, first of all, I think was mainly political. He just, you know, had political motives for wanting to get the troops out. Um, but also, uh, it had to do with his dementia. You know, his, what I've been calling since the campaign, encroaching dementia, what we've all seen increasingly as time has passed since he became president it's more obvious and one of the the worst uh problems or symptoms that he has the most severe is um 
a symptom of dementia that is the most severe and particularly is important when you're considering something like taking away troops from Afghanistan, you know, a very complicated um, um, plan, you know, where you need to have strategic thinking. Um, analytic or abstract thinking or reasoning that is destroyed in the, you know, in dementia, um, especially as it progresses, that is the kind of thinking that um, check, good check, um, chess players, checkers and chess, but especially chess players have, because they need to be able to hold in their mind at the same time what would happen if I did this move, then they would do this, and they, then they would do this, and I could do this, and then what would happen if I made this move? In other words, to be able to hold in one's mind at the same time various strategies in order to be able to choose the best one. And if you start to um, enact a particular strategy and you see that it's not going the way you planned, then you need to be able to quickly change to another strategy. Well, Biden didn't have that. And that was a large part of the mess. But again, a lot of it was political because it was, he's really a puppet of Obama. And Obama has made America more, and continues to make America more vulnerable to terrorists than any other president. Um, let's see. Now, during this time, I mean, the, the uh, shorthand of what this report revealed was that Biden lied and Americans died. That's the shorthand way of reporting the results of this report, uh, summarizing the results. So he lied about a lot of things, and his, his administration lied about a lot of things. For example, um, throughout the evacuation, they claimed that it was progressing well when, you know, we could see <laughs> that um, gates were closed, flights were halted, uh, there was the bomb, you know, um, the explosion at the airport, all of that. Things were not going well. Um, he also said that um, the Taliban was cooperating during the evacuation when, in fact, they were beating and shooting and detaining would-be evacuees. Uh, Biden said it was, quote, highly unlikely, unquote, that the Taliban would take power despite um, the U.S. military advisors and intelligence community warning him repeatedly that what did happen was exactly what was going to happen. Um, so the, the fallout from this mess is the, from the withdrawal and the evacuation has made America less safe. It's emboldened our adversaries and we made our our allies angry and um, told, showed them that they can't count on America to, to have their back. I mean, if we could withdraw like this, when, when so many people from allied countries, not just America, of course, our troops, I mean, the, the, the worst part of all of this, well, it's hard to decide what, what is worse, but um, a really bad part is how... Um, Soldiers, after 9-11, people signed up to join American military in, because of patriotism. And they gave their lives, they gave their limbs, you know, they, they families lost people. I mean, the people, 20 years of people patriotically going there to fight 
um, for America, and Biden just pulls out on a whim because that's what he wants to do, even though everyone's telling him not to, and because he can see that the Taliban didn't hold to their to the peace plan, and he didn't have to still withdraw. Um, what else? Well. These were the main thing. He left over 800 American citizens abandoned in Afghanistan. There are still Americans, um, family members of Americans, military personnel. There are still more than 800 citizens um, trapped in Afghanistan. And he's he's trying to keep still claiming, oh, well, no one saw that there would be a rapid Taliban takeover. Well, on the first day that they started removing troops and they saw that the Taliban was quickly invading, taking over Kabul and, and the rest of the country. I mean, like, you'd have to be blind to not see what was happening and what was going to happen, how it was only going to get worse. Well, I'm going to um, stop here. For now, but when I, in the next segment, I'm going to talk to you about the impact that this um, surrender has had on Afghanistan and the impact that it is having um, on America and um, the fact that the, the, these lies continue and the impact continues and gets worse. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about really two tragedies and uh, the irony of them happening in a sense close to each other. The 9-11 museum closes, 9-11 Tribute Museum closes, but the Taliban remains open. The, the surrender to the Taliban was August 30th, 2021. And uh, the museum was closing, you know, just, just a few days before. It just recently closed. And both of these are debacles, tragedies, um, that, and both make um, put America in more danger. So um, now I'm going to tell you about what the surrender in Afghanistan, how that has affected Afghanistan, and um, how it is affecting America. So first of all, um, Afghanistan is has become, um, you know, the Taliban has taken over, and they are, um, you know, more emboldened than ever because, I mean, you know, they beat the U.S. They beat America. <laughs> you know, so they feel like they can do whatever they want, um, both to the Afghan citizens, and, um, you know, in terms of their plans, they're harboring of Al-Qaeda and ISIS, and they're making plans, of course, um, to, well, not, they're continuing their plans. I mean, um, Taliban, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, they have never stopped in their plans to take over the West um, and to enact Sharia law. So now that the Taliban can do whatever they want in Afghanistan, they are enacting Sharia law, 
worse than ever, more um, more severely than ever. Um, and uh, they uh, so one of the things, for example, they have um, reinstated public whipping as this as they are bringing back Sharia law in full, a draconian version of Sharia law. So, for example, there, this, these are some things that the Quran says and that they are enacting. Uh, the Prophet said, quote, the hand should be cut off for stealing something, unquote. Quote, the adulterer and the adulteress lash each one of them a hundred times, unquote. Um, quote, if he is intoxicated, flog him. Again, if he is intoxicated, flog him. Again, if he is intoxicated, flog him. If he does it again a fourth time, kill him. Those are all things that the Quran tells <laughs> tells you to do and that are part of Sharia law. So they have begun public whippings in earnest. And for example, um, a man and a woman were whipped 39 times in front of dozens of local residents and they were also sentenced to two and six years in prison, respectively. Of course, the woman gets the worst punishment, right? And um, what, what was their crime? They were living together unmarried and engaging in a sexual relationship, which is classified as illegal adultery under Sharia law. Um, when the Taliban was ruling Afghanistan in the 1990s, they also had already implemented a draconian version of Sharia law, and they this included um, executing convicted murderers publicly in Kabul's sports stadium. It also included amputating the limbs of thieves, basically following the Quran um, literally. Also, the, um, the Taliban has stopped pretending, as they had originally said they would be, you know, when, when, Amer when the troops, American and NATO troops first left, they were, you know, talking a good uh, talk about um, how they were going to give um, rights to women, and um, they were going to be inclusive, quote-unquote inclusive. Well, um, you know, they never really said what they meant by inclusive just like they never really said what they meant by giving rights to, to women, which of course they're not doing. Um, but in general, the world, you know, felt somewhat optimistic that maybe, um, you know, they were going to sort of change their stripes to some degree. Um, they, they were softened somehow a little bit. Um, well, that is not happening. The only thing that they have done that's inclusive is making more room for al-Qaeda and ISIS. They have been including them in Afghanistan or tolerating them a bit more, you know, um, and really more than tolerating these days, including them. Um, here are some of the headlines that show just how inclusive the Taliban can be. UNICEF blindsided by Taliban reneging on its, pleasure, on its pledge to allow girls to be educated. Taliban replaces Afghan flag with flag reading, 
quote, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad his prophet, unquote. UN votes to keep on aiding the Taliban in Afghanistan. Biden's handlers moving toward recognition of Taliban regime in Afghanistan. Taliban seeks greater role in distributing billions of funds from international aid. Greater role. They are taking all the money. Um, now, let's look at how, what are some of the ways that the surrender a year ago um, is affecting America. Well, one of the big ways um, is the fact that um, there have been 80,000, approximately 80,000 Afghans um, taken from Afghanistan to America, and they have been unvetted, essentially for, uh, unvetted, because, you know, there was a um, sort of a sham, a pretense of vetting them. But um, for the most part, you know, they weren't, because there was this big rush, this big panic that Biden was in to take them out of Afghanistan, and then some of them, of course, went to other countries, like in Europe. Um, but the, the, the vetting the really, really wasn't vetting. They did not take the time to look deeply into the history of these people. Now, um, some of the Afghans were indeed friends of America, helped American troops, and so on. But um, not all 80,000 of them who are now spread all over America. Um now, three, at least 300, you know, what they know so far, what they're telling us so far, is that at least 324 um, of the uh, Afghans who were unvetted and released to, into America were on the terrorist watch list. In particular, there is a biometrically enabled watch list, the BEWL. And that is a watch list that includes um, information about people, uh, potential terrorists, um, who, you know, such as their fingerprints, biological markers, biometric markers. So um, this, this uh, watch list identifies people whose biometrics have been collected and determined by analysts to be threats or potential threats to national security. But instead of stopping these people who appeared on this watch list, um, they allowed them to um, to come in in part of this rush. Now, the reason why we have some of this information that I'm telling you about is because there was a whistleblower who knows about these things. <laughs> and he is, he, he or she, um, also reported that the Department of Homeland Security staff were authorized to, to delete old biometric data at their discretion. Delete data, biometric data that is not all that easy to collect in the first place. Why on earth would one delete it? Oh. Um. So actually, some numbers, there's over 80,000. Um, there's also a, an estimate of 82,000 Afghans who are brought into the U.S. without being vetted. Um, the immigration officials 
who were deciding who gets in. They just believed what the Afghans said about who they were without making any effort to check their story. And 75% um, uh, of the people who were evacuated were not American citizens, not green card holders, not Afghan special immigrant visa holders. These are people who, these uh, special immigrant visas have been given to Afghans who helped uh, the U.S. forces in Afghanistan. Um, and they were not applicants for the visa. So in other words, 75%, we don't know what they were, but they weren't, they weren't these people who are more, um, who are more, one could more reasonably expect that these people, you know, American citizens, green card holders, special immigrant visa holders, or applicants for the visa, we could assume that they would be more likely to be safe than people that we have no information about. <laughs> um, now, on top of that, not only were these 82,000 plus uh, distributed all over America, but there is a push by some in Congress to legalize these Afghans. In other words, to make it easier for them to ultimately uh, become citizens. And this is, um, this is the Afghan Adjustment Act. Uh, some people in Congress are trying to push the Afghan Adjustment Act. Don't you love that adjustment? <laughs> yes, politically <laughs> making adjustments for political reasons. So this um, proposed Afghan Adjustment Act would grant Afghan migrants uh, permanent legal residency, which would then put them on a pathway to demanding citizenship. So there are tens of thousands, as of now, there are tens of thousands of Afghans who have been turned loose on, quote, humanitarian parole for two years. And we know already, and I've talked about this, um, some of this before in, in a previous podcast, about how a number of them have already shown themselves to be security risks, have already been creating chaos at the bases where they are held, and how some of them have already committed sexual assault because they've talked about how what they did sexually to a victim is considered okay in Afghanistan. So um, the refugee resettlement contractors are concerned that since a lot of these things have already happened, a lot they've the Afghans have already done a lot of bad things. They're concerned that um, it's going to be harder to uh, there will be more damaging information that will come out after this two years of parole and then they won't get to be citizens. Um, now, you know, of course, there, there's no, um, none of these Afghan migrants are about to be deported or at least not any significant amount of that. You know, that's the media spin that, that if we don't give them citizenship or don't do this, this um, Afghan Adjustment Act, then they could be deported. But there is no plan um, to deport them in any major way. Um, so they don't need this magic wand to keep them here. Now, yes, there, there have been a, a, a couple of reports of people who, uh, Afghans who um, 
have been it's been very unclear what's what's happened to them, but who have been noted to 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 be to be bad to, to be behaving badly. Now, last but not least, um, the U.S. We first of all, Biden left behind seven billion dollars worth at least of sophisticated military equipment that the Taliban quickly seized, and. Um, he is now contemplating the Obama Biden White House is now contemplating giving the Taliban seven billion dollars more because we don't need that money. Let's just give it to the Taliban, right? <clears throat> and he is claiming Biden is claiming that any money that he would donate to Afghanistan for um, relief would be kept out of the Taliban's hands. Um, or used by the Taliban in a humanitarian fashion. Just listen to that. We'll be kept out of the Taliban's hands. We already know. It's not a secret, really. Biden thinks that nobody knows. But um, we know that the Taliban has put their paws on money that has been donated by America, by other countries, um, by you know different um, uh, charity groups. Um, it is going to the Taliban in their efforts to attack the West, you know, to, I mean, they have already the military equipment, but whatever way they're, they're spending it to, um, to forward their, their ultimate plans to take over the West is what they're doing, not giving it to the poor, starving people. Meanwhile, the Taliban is mocking America, just how stupid we are, um, especially Biden, but um, they, they, they and they're becoming wealthier, they're becoming more powerful, they're, they're wearing, um, parading in their the uniforms and the gear that they took from the U.S. Special Forces stockpiles that we provided to the Afghan army. All of those things that we had there that we didn't take back before we took back our, our troops. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't you have thought that it might be a good idea to take back all this military equipment that's going to be used on us <laughs> um, before removing our troops? So anyhow, Biden, Obama and Biden are contemplating unfreezing the seven billion in, Afghan, in Afghanistan's assets that is being held by the U.S. Federal Reserve. Now, you know, the only thing that tops the stupidity with which he surrendered to the to, to the Taliban is giving them more money. Um, and they're just overlooking all the bad things that the Taliban has been doing so far, some of which. I already um, told you about. So the bottom line to all of this is that not only uh, was the surrender to the Taliban a debacle, and not only is this plan to give seven billion dollars more to the to the Taliban a debacle and outrage, but seven billion dollars would have kept the 9-11 Tribute Museum open forever. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. Com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, 
Check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrors, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.